0: Hello and welcome to the Conscious Community Cafe. My name is Misha. This project is about friendship, how four neighborhood friends are exploring their desire for conscious community. The first half of this recording took place in June at my house over a collaborative backyard lunch to prepare for the next in-person gathering of the Conscious Community Cafe. The second half of the recording took place at the gathering a few weeks later at the Garchor residence in London, Ontario, Canada. We're now sharing that conversation so that anyone who was not able to attend can still participate virtually. These recordings also serve as community connection between gatherings, reminding us that we're not alone and we belong to a community that appreciates and values each one of us. We deeply appreciate your time and attention in listening and would love to hear your feedback about these recordings and the gathering. So please enjoy and keep in touch. <music> setting is. We're in the beautiful backyard in the Wortley Village, and it's a really nice, sunny, windy day. So there's probably lots of different bird sounds and uh, wind sounds, and we'll see how that turns out in the recording. Um, and we're just preparing for the next gathering, which will be our third gathering, which will take place on June 24th uh, at 3 p.m. at the Garchore And Uh, We have some notes, some questions, and sort of discussion points that we were talking about that sort of have come through uh, out of our last gathering. Some of the discussion points that came up for us uh, were around this idea that different vibrations aren't wrong and they aren't a mistake. And so we're recognizing part of what's the impetus of trying to figure out how do we phrase and how do we add more... um, Clarity to what the Conscious Community Cafe is um, is recognizing what have we learned from it so far, and um, we had a conversation about inclusion and accessibility and how to have the Conscious Community Cafe be something that's safe for for everyone to come and explore, um, but also for those who. Uh, who want to really be able to listen and participate that there isn't too much distraction. Some of the points we were looking at was um, people choose to explore different things and they have different lives to live. And does that kind of bring to mind anything for anyone? I think people come from very different
1: perspectives and we can still be conscious in creating conversation and opening ourselves even if it's a different perspective, and I think this it comes back to, even with our most recent election, half our population wants something different than the other half, and so we really need to have conversations that are bridges, not just ones that are like-minded.
0: Great. The next point was, if what others choose to explore is dangerous, what does our consciousness demand? So yeah, sort of for me that really resonates around like when you're talking about addiction, that um, sometimes we're in relationship with people and sometimes it's ourselves where we're inclined to explore something that that might have some dangerous consequence, but that it's part of it's it's part of that person's journey to do that or my journey to do that. Um and then the question around what does our consciousness demand like what level of responsibility do we have for each other uh, to both kind of I don't know give a warning sign of what we're seeing maybe or, um, but also to respect that people are, are also have a level of freedom to, to explore dangerous things with themselves uh, in, and how to then take responsibility at least for keeping myself safe And so being really clear about my boundaries. I think
1: naming. Mm -hmm. Naming that that feels, say, threatening or um, upsetting in some way.
0: Yes, and I think that's part of also what we're trying to explore even in uh, some of those guidelines again for the group that... um, not, they're not rules about who can be there who can't but we're trying to understand how do we how do we take care of our how do I take care of my safety in certain situations um, where I might be more likely to feel unsafe well and in a sense I think we are
2: responsible for this as as um, hosts for group safety as well and um, So it's not enough to think about my own safety. I have to be thinking about the group, knowing that that means something different to everyone, and I can't know what all of those things are. But if we have some general guidelines that everyone agrees to, that hopefully will be covered.
1: I also think it's important to model the concept of self I feel threatened. It doesn't mean we all have to stop the conversation. It means, how do we bridge? What do I do? Maybe my responsibility, because everybody else is okay, is to take myself out of this conversation and pick a different table. But it it doesn't mean we just shut down. I think that there is a place where we can help hold. How do we have uncomfortable conversations? And there's a difference between discomfort and danger, though sometimes our bodies don't know the difference. Mm And how do we facilitate that acceptance, that there's a difference in that
2: threshold? It was part of a really beautiful conversation once where everybody had accepted responsibility for the dynamic of the conversation. And a couple of people were getting quite heated and really starting to go back and forth at each other. And someone just quietly said, the sword has entered the table. And everyone got really quiet and looked at, you know, and then the person who, who had really brought the sword to the table owned that and, and walked it back and the conversation shifted. But it was, it was just so beautiful because there was nothing personal about it at all. It's just the sword has entered the table. I thought it was really profound. Because there's even a point, you know, I am not my anger, I am not my resistance, I am not my passion. Anger, resistance and passion can move through me and they can be part of this, but it's not what any of us is. And so I think part of a conscious conversation is seeing one another in our wholeness and in our radiance. And then noticing that these other energies move through us and among us. And, um, you know, we were talking earlier about how anger is a source of power. And without a mature capacity to experience and express anger, we're pretty impotent. And, And so... I I think part of conscious conversation is, in fact, um, being able to deal with these things. When I think of dangerous, I think of somebody being in physical harm's way. Um, You know, I don't know if, if, if other kinds of danger are... I mean, how do we define that?
1: I think that other kinds of danger are equally valid. The same way we can acknowledge that emotional abuse can be sometimes as or more debilitating for people than as physical abuse. Um, So somebody can be emotionally uh, abusive in a dangerous way. Mm -hmm. And I think anger as well can be abusive and dangerous without it just being physical. It can be extremely demeaning and... um, undermining as opposed to explorative and clear and i again think that's a part of our our work is to hold the modeling for uh, it that we cannot do don't have to always be nice it's okay for us mm-hmm. to model i'm not okay with that that frustrates me i'm, I'm real i'm angry about that and do it in
0: a clean and clear way mm-hmm the next point is about what's the difference between discernment and judgment so it really speaks to what we're talking about here I think I
1: love that piece that you said Jocelyn, because you were talking about the idea that somebody isn't their anger they're also not their weaknesses and they're, they're, their being is so much bigger and I think that we can see we can name it, yes this is not okay and yet we don't have to judge that person as oh they are whatever mm-hmm. and, and so I really like that you put this together
0: yeah and I find that piece around judgment and discernment is kind of that's a practice mm-hmm. um, that's kind of where I think we all sometimes it takes time because we have a, a sort of a physical reaction sometimes a, a, an emotional reaction we can have all these things and sometimes it's, it's hard to know what What's, which part is the discerning part and which part is the judging part. Um, and, and even that space of sometimes, you know, my anger might be coming from a judgment that's actually some boundary violation where my being is mobilizing to protect myself for, in some way that it needs to do that. Um, and so I, I, it just takes time, I think, to sort of unpack some of that sometimes um, and so I think that's that's the practice that I want to keep refining is being able to have this discernment, but to recognize that my judgments are also part of part of my human existence. The next one is: Are we responsible for our own boundaries? When setting boundaries, how do I offer my wisdom in a way that is respectful? One of the things for me there is, is in that availability piece, like being very mindful about the violence of shutting down. And so really, if I need to go there, recognizing like that's, that's a, really an extreme. Um, and so, yeah, just being able to, for me, the way that I set a boundary with my wisdom and in, in respectfully is to say that this isn't a rejection of the person this isn't an abandonment I'm aware that as a human being the fact that we're in relationship is like it risks triggering some of those primal kind of wounds Um, and I take responsibility for that in that we've entered into relationship even by having a conversation or something and so I could be part of having that experience with somebody where um, my expression of my boundaries could could cause them harm Um, and, and that's not to say that I then don't do it. It's that I actually just respect that all that is happening, that I'm taking care of myself, and me doing that also implicates other people. And I don't have to manage that for them, but I could be available to, to at least hear that from them.
3: Okay.
0: Can you do the next one? Yeah. Um, are we responsible to advocate for those who are helpless?
1: hard to define helpless because people who are not used to standing up for themselves, who have been trained in shutting down or not being able to set boundaries or not advocate, I still don't want to characterize that in, in terms of helplessness rather than either inviting them into that space or at least acknowledging I'm feeling some discomfort about how that might make you feel, mm-hmm. rather than bl- almost stepping in front of them in a, a caretaking way, because that that redefines the the victim place. That redefines the you can't step in front of your for yourself, step up for yourself, and say no, this is not okay for me. And we haven't incurred like encountered any of that so far. We've met some really great people who are really kind to each other around the tables, but I, I would imagine, depending on how heated certain discussions become, that that could, could happen, and so I, I would like to acknowledge and see if that person can step into a helpful place for themselves rather than immediately go into a facilitating, rescuing
0: Yeah, it's always a really hard sort of question for me around defining who's helpless. And sometimes I think of that in terms of like adults and children. Oh, yeah. And again, where it gets tricky is that when, if I have a level of consciousness, not in terms of like I've graduated above somebody, but if I just actually am in a state of presence where I can see that somebody else is not in their state of presence and they've reverted to a more uh, child innocent state um, then what's my responsibility in that moment and I like the idea that I would take responsibility in that moment for, for, for being that present and, I, and also I recognize in myself that I'm not a, always able to do that I, it can sometimes trigger resentment in me it, it's funny I'll have a, sometimes I can have a response where it's like, oh, this person's not available to me. I'm recognizing that because they are in their child state and then that triggers me to be in my child state of like now I'm disappointed that I don't get to have the game that I wanted to play and this friend that I wanted to play with can't play the way that I want. And so it's it''s, it's very nuanced that piece around defining who's helpless because we change all the time while we're having the conversation. In one moment, somebody might be more, able to be more present and then it shifts. If I can bring like some real sincere, sincere vulnerability, then sometimes that might help somebody. It, it, it plays off, it, off each other. So I find that one is hard with adults. Um, with children, it feels a little bit more clear to me, but... I find uh,
2: a situation that often comes up in teaching is is like students are never helpless, but they can feel that way, and I think story medicine is always really really useful. Um, parables, stories that sort of draws together in a way that's not personal, but that draw us into a conversation about the dynamic that's going on
1: I like what you said that it's not personal I think the minute you personalize that boundary setting it becomes a place of defense and it is easier with children so even in a grocery store I've often offered to, can I hold your baby and doing it in a really non invasive non critical way even though somebody's you know losing it We've all been in a grocery store with kids feeling like we'd like to strangle our kids. Mm-hmm. So there is no judgment. And I and I think it does become more difficult when you're in an adult dynamic, not about a child, where where you're trading that role. Now I feel triggered for you. And owning. The complex dynamics start happening when we're in uncomfortable places, when we're talking about things that make us feel vulnerable. Our vulnerability tends to trigger the parts of ourself that don't interact as well and as adult because our child parts are the parts that have learned, this is survival for me, and I'm going to take over now because you feel uncomfortable. Unless we've got a lot of practice with you. Well, and if we're truly in a deep
2: practice, there's always going to be something (laughs) to be unearthed and to surprise us.
1: I love the way you put it. (laughs) An surprise. <laughs> yes. and then you've got to smile it's about delight, not about oh, this new thing happened it's, yeah. oh a new uncovering, a new awakening yeah. and again, I think that's something
2: that happens to me so much in teaching I mean, you're just talking so much when you're teaching and you're orchestrating so many things And you know, you'll say something and you'll think ah, I don't think that's really true <laughs> Where did that come from, you know, and and also um, just impatience sometimes, you know, um, and people feeling free to bring things into the space that you're not sure belong in that dynamic, and you know, so, there's so many things to sort through all day, every day, and there's no way I'm prepared for all of them, even though I've been doing this for decades. It's There's just always something new.
0: The next one is: Are we are we fully responsible for our actions? So it sort of plays to what we're talking about. That that feels so idealistic to me to be fully responsible for my actions. I mean, in some ways, I'm fully responsible, even in the sense that I just I accept my actions. I accept that my actions have consequences. And I take that level of responsibility to, to try to receive the consequences. And even that is sometimes hard to do because um, sometimes the consequence is that somebody is having a challenging experience through relationship with me. And it's, so, it's too painful for me to imagine that so I can't even really acknowledge that it's true. Um, and so that often will come into like... I'll go into my victim story around how you know it's them that's causing me to have this uncomfortable situation because I'm not ready yet to see that they're also having some uncomfortable experience um, because or as a result of our relationship or through our relationship. So I, I think like I do think we're responsible for our actions and also just that what that means is like sometimes it just takes time it takes time to take responsibility for our actions sometimes we can't always be responsible for everything all the time i also think that we've lost
1: a sense of community by and large where big families or big Mm. communities there was a collective responsibility like you would take care of your neighbors or other people's kids and say you shouldn't behave like this right you know can i help you with this as well as calling people out. Now, it had a normative effect that was negative in certain contexts where people who were outliers weren't as accepted in some situations. But it also can have a really beneficial impact if we do it consciously mm-hmm. to not just um, put down outliers, but rather to open up certain standards of connection and and create responsibility on a collective level. So I think the invitation to conscious community is helping each other be accountable or helping name what some people won't say because they don't have that much interaction with somebody.
2: I also just want to point out that Ben... Uh, took responsibility for the helpless dog and opened the door to let him out.
4: <laughs> yes, I am here. I, I'm having a big influence with my silence.
2: <laughs> no, but I just noticed, like, aren't we responsible for the less helpless? And it was so beautiful that you were aware of the dog wanting to come out. and just. Yeah. I, think, I think that's what we mean.
0: The next one is, am I able to hold and receive feedback in a way that isn't crippling? And can I see it as a person's magical offering to me and realize I can take it however I want? Places that I've found it easiest to receive feedback in a way that's been really generative was in sport for me. Mm -hmm. Um, There was this container and there was a kind of a relationship contract in a way where I understood that I was kind of signing up for the coach to be giving me all this feedback. And so regardless of if I always agreed with it, I at least was consenting to receiving it. Um, and I could receive it with respect that it was, it was attention. Like it, he, the coach didn't have to tell me anything. The coach could just sit there and be silent. And to me, that speaks to that magical offering. That um, same with any, any communicating that anybody does with me, like they don't have to, nobody ever has to tell me anything. Um, I think what
1: has become challenging is I know so many people both in, of course, my private practice as well as in community, that the goal of relationship is to be valued because there's an empty place in which either we don't get valued in childhood or we don't get valued in community. And so the challenge is that, that feedback is perceived as conflicting with being valued or being liked. Uh, or being accepted, and ideally, it's not about being liked, it's about having relationship. Relationship has a foundation of movement, so to go into, I like you, and oh, here's this block that doesn't let me fall deeper into relationship with you, can we work on that? And if I don't give you that feedback, I'm prevented from falling more deeply in love with the relationship and with you. And so I think that feedback is an essential part of acceptance and relationship that we perceive in conflict, and it's not. Like even in, in a dynamic of, of love relationship, there's a piece of I'm ticked and I'm upset. And that doesn't mean, oh, can't you just accept me for who I am because that's what I'm looking for? No, because that's not what deepening relationship looks like.
2: I remember one friend I had, and she was always in conflict and losing friends all the time because she would demand things of people. She would criticize, you know. And I was just getting to know her. It was maybe our second or third encounter. And she says, I don't like this about you because you do this and that and this and that. And I thought, wow, she, she's going to fight for my friendship. Mm. Like, she wanted me to grow. And I didn't really agree with her assessment. I felt she'd made assumptions. But I really loved that she was coming to tell me. And we sorted it out and went on. And, you know, the friendship is, you know, 25 years old now or something. But um, I've watched a lot of people go, by the way, her delivery isn't great. English isn't her first language. And so, you know, things often come across um, a little rough. But... Her heart is good, Mm. and you can feel that her heart is good. But I always loved that she was going to fight for the friendship. Um, And I've never seen her walk away from conflict, Mm. never once. Mm -hmm. She'll stay with it to the bitter end.
5: Wow.
2: Yeah, everybody else will walk away, but she never does.
4: Yeah, I, I walk away a lot because I, I find I can accept the feedback as long as I'm not too close to the person. Yeah. Then it really gets my ego for some reason. <laughs> so yeah, this is a good one and a, and easy for me to do in a group like that. But when it comes to a personal relationship, it's it's challenging, just because of model I grew up with. You don't have conflict, you just are subtle and you are passive aggressive that kind of thing so
0: it, it almost jocelyn when you said like you know english isn't her first language the thought popped into my head that it was like often heart isn't people's first language yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, it's like we right. might be using the right vo- the right words but like we just didn't we didn't learn how to actually speak and communicate with from the heart like so that we could feel that connection that's underneath it always that's yeah. just like
4: yeah, if you could say something like, are you talking from your heart right now? <laughs> yeah. N- no? Okay. Well,
0: Can we start again? <laughs> I'll just
4: start again or I'll go away.
2: But it's so beautiful you named that because I think heart is her first language.
0: Mm, right. Uh, yeah, and and that's sort of the space then what you were talking about Ramola of how like, we make, because we have these voids or we have these hurts or these like, this emptiness inside of our own value, we kind of, we need heart to, to come through a certain set of words. Like we want heart to come through the word, I love you. Or this is what I appreciate about you. All these sort of like things that traditionally we conceive of as positive. And we don't recognize that heart can also come through really standing up to somebody and saying, this is not good enough. This is not your best self. Like I know you to be somebody better than this, somebody stronger than this. And I will fight for the friendship. I will fight for that part of you. That's not indifference.
1: No, and if I'm to go deeper, I need to explore these things, both in revealing myself in ways, and it's not always pretty. So the deeper you get with me, the less pretty and put together I am going to be, because those parts haven't been sometimes even revealed to myself, and they'll come out in the deepest relationship. And I'm going to be there in your messiness. And... And call out some growth in that way so that there's a depth that gets created. Mm. And I think this is
2: true in the macro as well because in order to make peace, if it isn't from that best self, how long can it last? How Mm. good can it be? Um, And so I think in, in both great and small ways, calling ourselves into our humanity and into our genius and our excellence, which is part of what we talk about here, mm-hmm. that's that's a huge, big
0: piece of it.
1: I I really loved what you just said about calling into peace because we make up that creating peace with something or somebody after conflict is letting it go, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's about calling into the or calling the opportunity into being where. We explore how that occurred, and create repair. and And that allows peace. Peace is not a process of we move on and pretend it didn't happen. And as well as creating repair, we dream about how
2: we're going to do it better and differently.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So talking about receiving feedback in a way that isn't crippling is about reframing feedback the concept of feedback as a part of deepening as a part of the invitation to love in a bigger way as opposed to feedback being in conflict with love right
0: yeah and part of that is almost i think that the idea of reframing that to to, to have this awareness that feedback is something that can be hard in our culture, we just we don't we don't have a lot of practice of it, and so to try to frame it that way of sort of saying like, I, I would like to, to take the vulnerable act of giving some feedback. Are you available for that, or what would what would help for you to feel comfortable to receive it? Like acknowledging that sometimes it's hard it's hard to share feedback and it's hard to receive feedback, and we're not we don't we're not taught those skills necessarily um, in school, so we don't necessarily all have them.
1: Well, and that leads to that next piece. What patterns do we carry and act on from our early family constellations or cultural constellations that we're not taught about a lot of these ways of healthy loving? Mm -hmm. And how do we shift something that's so ingrained? Because what we learn as love in childhood is so made, it creates this matrix in us Mm. that is, and it takes a lot of conscious thought to change it. Um, no I loving actually looks like this other piece or this other way
0: and sort of that space of just curiosity even about that that's an opportunity to also get to know somebody's where they come from like what are what are the patterns that they're carrying from caring and acting from Um, and likewise how do I share that about myself so that when I'm having a particular experience, how do I remember that the people in front of me m- may care to know about me, what I'm experiencing, and I could, I could also share, oh, this is hard for me because it's reminding me of something painful from my past. And not assuming that they should know that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it speaks to how we name conscious relationships is not about, okay, I'm uncomfortable, I'm just going to step away from you. It's, oh, this is bringing up this in me, so now I'm perceiving you as this. And how do I come closer to you? Assuming I want to be close to you, whether it's in community or in intimacy, it's not letting that feeling get in the way as a block to, to creating relationships. What, what... Story am I telling myself? What history do I have around that that makes me feel unsafe about this?
0: Mm. It's like the next one. How have we become conscious of our patterns? So it's exactly that. What are the stories?
1: And then how have we been able to change? Are the new stories? That's the celebration. Mm -hmm. And Jocelyn, you do a great job of some of the storytelling in our groups. Mm. Of how did I become conscious of that? What did I learn from doing it this way? Uh, you know, It's so neat to see you and have the privilege of seeing you at this stage where you seem so wise and you oh, have so much to share. And, and <laughs> Too much responsibility. No, but then you share these stories of, yeah, I really didn't get this and this is how I did this. Mm. And it's so beautiful to share that journey and that humanness. Of it. it just reinforces we don't get there. Automatically, it's this uh,
4: process. Some of us,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I think every life lesson we have becomes a teaching story,
5: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And how those stories it's like the next question is like, where are we blocked? I I in my experience my stories they they evolve and it's like they're teaching they're teaching stories for others and they're teaching stories for me like every time I tell the story I learn something new about it um and sort of like that idea of like me venting this weekend to me that's me working through my story um to figure out like okay what parts are real and what parts need to be let go of and
2: Well, and you notice with the fairy tales, you'll find different versions of them Mm -hmm. in different settings and they think it's because the elders modified them in order to highlight a certain lesson for the child they were talking to or telling the story to or something, so Mm -hmm. the stories modify depending on what has been learned and what is being shared and Mm -hmm. it's sort of interesting Mm
5: -hmm.
2: and we do that even with our own stories. They shift, you know, the, and, and a wonderful acting exercise I know is to tell a story about something horrible that happened to you and then you retell it as one of the funniest things that ever happened to you.
0: Mm.
2: And mm. Uh, just the retelling of it often creates huge shifts. Mm.
4: I can imagine that. Wow. And,
2: and you'll go into a play and you'll read a scene a certain way. Well, what if it was read the opposite way? What might come out of it, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: and, and you can do a show eight times a week because you're constantly looking for something new in it. Mm.
1: it you know, you're talking about constellations, and, and when I do work with couples sometimes, I physically make them take a posture that the conversation makes them feel. And talk, have the conversation for that posture, whether it's, you know, their hands in front of their face are all bunched up, because usually it feels hurtful. And I say, now imagine having that same conversation with your arms thrown wide, your heart open, and a big smile on your face. How would you have that same conversation? And it's impossible to have the same conversation. It shifts how we are framing it, how we see the other person, how we see our own strength. And... And I think that that's so relevant in shifting dynamics. Hard to remember when
0: we're in those dynamics, though. Right. The, the last section of our notes um, was just around the four agreements. And it's, to me, it reminds me of what you're talking about there, of like how, how do we do that? How do we steer, even stay open to that kind of play? Um, And and these four kind of agreements to me just help me do that, to sort of imagine like being impeccable with with my words. Um, Which, that's that's like something to strive for. Um, Not taking things personally, not making assumptions and always doing my best. The simplicity I think is so beautiful of just having these little, these four agreements and to imagine that from those place, even if I just carried those four intentions, and came into the play of community, and of relationship, and of intimacy, even within myself, to say, okay, am I doing my best? Maybe. For those who
1: don't know, it's from Don Miguel Riaz's mm-hmm. book, The Four Agreements, and yeah. he writes other really profound, great things. Yeah. I like how you talked about it as play, that this this community building that we're trying to create is not just about coming together to have conversation, but just like a musical instrument, We get to practice how this actually looks. It's not uh, just about talking about interesting things. We get to play with how do we stay open-hearted when we're ticked off? How do we get to deepen when it's somebody who we don't immediately feel akin to what they're saying? How do we reframe some of our old stories and history to be in deeper relationship?
0: I'm excited to see how the gathering goes and and what kind of conversation all of this spurs with the community. Mm -hmm. And these feel like really, really rich places to explore. So I'm, I'm excited to just kind of get to know the community better. Following this wonderful backyard lunch discussion, the Conscious Community Cafe gathered. And using these principles, and guidelines, and all of these insights that we've gained from our previous conversations, we set out to begin to open to some more challenging conversations around controversial and provocative global issues. We used our skills and awareness in conscious communication and generative conversation to unpack the Me Too movement, international trade wars, and immigration crisis. We did so initially in small groups at tables of about five people. And the following recording is when we reunited in a large circle to share the insights that we gathered from our discussions. I hope you enjoy. So now I think the idea is just that as a group, um, we have an opportunity to share about what were some of the insights that came up in our smaller conversations. If anybody is willing to share um, that you know, the service of your voice here is really appreciated, and we appreciate you just being here today. That's part of how this conversation is able to happen. Um, and so yeah, whatever you're able to share and offer is, is really appreciated. So shall we, shall we work through the topics maybe and then see what came out from the different groups?
4: Yeah, so the Me Too was the first topic for the, the three uh, prompts. It was interesting because the three prompts, as I experienced with the people that came through my table, they really blended in to one comment, commentary. So you know, how do we bring consciousness to world events? How do those events affect us personally, and then how do we support a con- conscious shift in our collective humanity, to kind of summarize that one, that last one quickly. And in the Me Too movement, I like what um, Lee was in my first group, talking about with her kids, interestingly, having kids that were um, of young age, one, one male, one female. And I really loved, uh, and maybe you want, if if you don't mind sharing a little bit about that, because. I I really liked the idea of, you know, first of all informing people and and people that we have in our own uh, circle of influence and then also the opportunity for for modeling and then the opportunity for these kids to be practicing it because they're going out there in a world that is changing. So maybe if you have a minute to describe that, that'd be great.
3: Sure. I'll try to uh, remember what I said in the moment. I think the, the, the essence of, of what I said and why I was able to, without even realizing it, answer all of those three questions at once, was I said when an issue uh, is important and I'm trying to bring consciousness to it, I start by bringing it home first. And I look at how um, it's a self-reflective piece for me. So whether it's the Me Too moment or something else, uh, I turn and I look in the mirror and how has this issue affected me, or what does it mean to me, or uh, why do I value it? Why is it important? And then I believe in bringing that into my family and use the example of just this great opportunity with the Me Too movement as the example of, it's important for both of my children, male and female, to, to understand that and to teach them empowerment and respect. And for, for one, me to always be modeling that by continuing to do my own personal work and to encourage them to be uh, the best versions of themselves, um, the strongest, but also open and, and loving. I, was, there, was there anything else that you remember from that, Ben?
4: No, that, that was pretty much it, but just the, the idea of, of having these two people um, with you and then, you know, their experiences and then preparing them for what the world is like as well. So what happens if, kind of.
3: Yes, for what happens if and, and hoping that they can be part of this positive change. By, um, I know the other thing I spoke about was, was having the difficult conversations uh, with them and respecting their boundaries on that but showing them my open heart and my willingness to be there for them and hold space and so that they have support. Uh, Because the only way to make change uh, is to be open and is to have these difficult conversations and and just supporting them through that.
4: And then I also wanted to add from that first group, and I I felt this also really important um, that, that Linda mentioned, she uh, has kids that are in her 30s and uh, the, the, your son who's in his 30s how he feels that he's been not an outstanding citizen but not at all a part of that community uh, the impact from men and yet wherever he goes he's feeling sort of the pressure and the guilt and really wishing that he wasn't painted with that same brush could you would you mind saying something
6: Yeah he's a very <clears throat> kind you know boy or man now and he would never treat a woman in a way that was not appropriate and um, but he feels like he's being vilified because it, he's a white man in the 30s and you know all these me too things are sort of um, treating him as if that's he he who he is as well as these people have actually been, you know, have been doing bad things. So in some ways, it's sort of like when I was young, all women were sort of put in the same bag, and he thinks now he's being put in the same bag as people who are different than him, the way he treats people. So he felt, he feels really hurt, by it actually, very hurt about the whole thing he feels like he's done his level best to do things the way they should be done, and he's not being treated as if he did take take that effort to do
1: them. I think in our group, one of the topics that we discussed and addressed is if we treat the education process, whether it's between us as adults, as just about cheating justice, so the patriarchy is wrong, men are bad, they have to have justice, and if you think about it, and what statistically women are coming up with is, if 75% of women have been either sexually assaulted or sexually harassed, then does that put 75% of our male population in jail, and are there other more effective ways of addressing this with compassion, which doesn't mean that there isn't a place for justice, and it there isn't a place for repair, but repair also needs to look like conversations and creating the opportunity for both awareness, education and moving forward, especially when we talk about young men and women who aren't necessarily intentionally being misogynistic and either say a bad comment or say something or do something that's a one-off, and then they're tarnished, tarred and feathered for the rest of their lives, as opposed to an opportunity to move forward with some dialogue and some clear consciousness raising so that we don't have to make it about us versus them. And and I said, what's that place between radical and liberal feminism where we say, you know, we're still humanity. How do we come closer to humanity and a collective as opposed to, again, segregating um, with respect to still honoring the victim uh, place and moving
4: it forward. Well, you express as any other flavor or you want to dress like a Martian, who cares, right? You're you're just another human being.
0: Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it reminds me of um, uh, how in our group we were really talking about how there was sort of a need for, for a kind of a process of truth and reconciliation in some of these, these moments and almost like a collective process of understanding that when we come into, I don't, even, I don't know if we would say conflict necessarily, but we're coming into conflict with each other all day. Um, and so how do we navigate those little moments where we need truth and reconciliation to say, oh, this is what my authenticity is, this is what my boundary is, are you able to respect that or not? if you aren't, then this is gonna be what the consequence is for me. And I, know, and I know how to have that conversation, and I know how to then take myself out of situations or get help or do different things. Um, and so it's, I think that to me is where we're talking about really having this deep listening um, and withholding judgment and honoring that um, there's pain in both the victim and the perpetrator. Um, and that there's, there are some skill gaps there that we need to address as well on both sides. Um, because again, it's like we're not different. We're, we are all victims and perpetrators in different moments of our lives. We can all relate to, to those feelings and, of shame and regret um, and fear. Um, And so our group was really talking about sort of how, as a community, we could really come together to create a sense of safety around storytelling, and that speaks to sort of authenticity for me, um, of how we could just listen to what somebody's authentic story is, um, and just withholding judgment, and just honoring the process of revealing, um, and acknowledge that things happen. To be able to acknowledge what's happened, and, and to be compassionate that sometimes the stories might provoke defensiveness as part of as part of our experience. So not to have an expectation either on somebody that when I tell them my story they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's like that might actually provoke an emotional experience for them that requires my compassion and listening as well. Um, and so yeah, we really talked about a lot of compassion and education, better equipping people to understand about conditioning, um, physiology and psychology, and also trauma resiliency, Um, having awareness about that trauma is part of our human experience um, and that part of how potentially I can best serve somebody else in their trauma is for me to deal with my own trauma.
2: Dan, do you want
5: to talk about some of the things you brought up? Like, the Me Too that you hoped it wasn't just... Yeah. Um, I'm a sexual assault survivor, and I was hoping that it wasn't just about women, it was about anybody who who was undergone, something like that. But it's good that it finally came forward. It's too bad it took this long. But I mean, I'm hoping it raises awareness. Has undergone that kind of persecution, basically, um, can speak up. And um, I think, hopefully, the, uh, with the dialogue, that the perpetrators, who often may be uh, have been victims themselves, and are just recycling it, um, will see that. sense of shared experience. Yeah, that's the, I mean, well, I t- talked about you know equal pay, but there's also equal treatment and equal decision-making, and um, I think that because a sexual assault isn't about sex, it's about power, right? so, uh, so if everybody equally holds the power, then you don't have the desire to be somebody else. So I think that, that will go a long way into hopefully lessening the occurrences. Uh, I want to, to go to what
6: Melissa was saying, and um, Misha
2: as well, about watching the shifts change, and I liked what you are talking about, how the emphasis on who are you? complex human being and uh, that's representative of
6: um, of each one of us and nothing that is uh, comes from more of an idea of who you are based on
2: in our inner work, then uh, you, you tend to walk around the world
0: differently with more compassion and empathy. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. Did anybody have any else, anything else you wanted to share about Me Too? Okay. Then,
1: okay. The one thing that I do is just listening to every group is that there the, are both sides valuing the Too movement for bringing to light people who need to speak about something that is not okay. And then what is the moving forward? What is the moving forward to help each of us create a a solution, uh, both in our interactions, in our education, and in our, in the repair? And I really like that, that
0: lens. Thank you. Uh, The next question that we talked about was around um, immigration and refugee crisis. so some of the topics that came up um, in the discussion at the table that I was at was, and this was a common theme actually in all of the in all of the conversations that I was part of around really a need for for more facts and more information and not necessarily more but really quality information. Um, and so then in that piece around the discernment of information, um, how to know, how to qualify, like what is. Accurate information, and to, to recognize what's the motivation behind different information, um, and to be able to have some level of awareness and detachment from some of the emotional reaction that's trying to be provoked through a lot of kind of fake news or just like kind of dramatic news, um, so that we can also so that we can really have information that we feel confident that we understand, um, and. Some of the pieces around, sort of, how does it affect me personally? Um, we have people in our group who have had travel experiences, and so they've traveled to different places and have awareness about um, some of the living conditions that people experience in different parts of the world and how that can be really helpful for bringing consciousness throughout your life when you can have not just an external source of information, but you really have your own lived experience to be able to to reference and we happen to be from a country where we have a lot of privilege of resource so we have a lot of opportunity to do that and we don't necessarily need to travel, we have so much diversity locally, we don't even necessarily need to leave the city, we can just start connecting with local communities who can share their story medicine of their experience with us. Um, so going and seeking that out was really important. How do we come together? Um, and share our ideas and choose collective path forward. What are the sort of forums to have those conversations? Um, not just relying on the politicians necessarily representing our voice, but how do we actually engage in some of these conversations? And then having a more of a personal, personal experience, like inviting people locally, into our homes and our hearts to understand what do local people need who are trying to integrate already. Um, and they might have the best insight also into what other people need as well. Um, and yeah, we just talked about how often we notice that, um, we don't sort of awaken to open our hearts until we're really in survival crisis mode. And then we see these amazing acts of humanity of around like a hurricane or something where people are really coming out of their houses to help their neighbors. And so how do we remember to sort of stay open and not get caught in that fog of kind of just falling asleep into our everyday life, um, whether it's you know just sort of being in the consumption production paradigm. Um, and just taking small steps forward, like doing what feels right and moving in that direction. And looking for opportunities to, to explore service and exploring sort of unity and diversity. And again, just, just really trying to have deeper understanding of the problem with a lot of compassion and empathy. Did anyone else want to share about what they talked about?
2: I think it's interesting that there's overlap in the groups, which is really beautiful, and um, somebody in our group mentioned that it's a shame that we have to wait for a crisis uh, before we come into awareness and action. But along this particular conversation, it was really cool in our group, because one of the things that came up is, what can one person do? And um, I, I just share a personal story that I would like to share again because I, I feel it has something to do with this. Um, when I lived in New York City, I joined a, a new movement. I went actually to their first meeting in, in San Francisco, and it was Gather the Women. And I used to have gatherings in my home, and they would do various causes and things. And the United Nations has only ever done it once, but they had a gathering of women from around the world, an international gathering and Gather the Women decided that they would like to try and help poor women from African villages attend. And would anybody do a fundraiser? And I thought, well, I can do that. So I got all my artist friends together and everything, and I held an event, and we sold all our stuff, and I raised enough money to take 17 women to this conference in Africa. And. Uh, To me was because a few months later I got a letter from the woman, and she said, "Our whole lives we have had NGOs and politicians and people speaking for us, but you gave us a chance to speak for ourselves." And so often in my life I've thought, "What good am I to the world? I'm a singer, for God's sake. What do I? You know, what what is my part in all of this?" But I've always said since I started teaching that what I want is for everybody to have the power of their own voice in this world. And that was a moment where I got to help 17 women have the power of their own voice in in a way that was meaningful to them. And so um, another thing that came up is how do you know what to get engaged in? I mean, all of us aren't gonna get engaged in refugees. I know people who are sponsoring refugees here in London, but we're not all doing that and we talked about how it really has to do with your own gifts and talents. You know, you see what you're good at, and you see where to apply that, and uh, we talked about how life circumstances will often bring you to your causes. And one of the examples we talked about was Terry Fox. You know, he, he was an athlete, so when he got cancer, he decided to run. And now that run has raised over $600 million. And it's still raising money. And they take no corporate donations. Because he never wanted to. So that's what one person can do. And I just thought that was a, a beautiful, beautiful part of the conversation that came up. There was so much more, but that was, was really powerful.
4: Yeah, that is really powerful. And really well, well put, Jocelyn. That was really moving. Thanks. We, we, we talked about the basics of our, um, our country as, as immigrants. Within either your generation or one or two, you know somebody or you become friends with people. So it seems like something really clear and natural for a Canadian. Then we also talked about numbers and how some countries in Europe, for example, can take in a million. And that sort of baffles us. And we took in 35,000 Syrian refugees. And that was quite an undertaking itself. So we talked about how also um, the myths around immigration and how they're going to take away jobs from you. But often immigrants will take the jobs that people living in an area don't take to begin with. And it actually, you know, really boosts the economy. So it's really important to get the right information out there. Yeah,
1: that topic for us around. in in, in my group for immigration was really about asking the question how. What does it take for us to encourage our smaller communities and then even ask our politicians to ask how do we shift, what do we shift to include people who have been displaced as opposed to saying what is the impact it has on. I thought it was a very open-hearted conversation to recognize that sometimes we have to shift in order to create a global well-being, whether it's around climate change or whether it's around immigration, so that we each can ask ourselves, what can we give? And especially when we are in the luxurious position of having so much land, space, and you know, real economic stability in comparison to many, many people in the world, what are those questions that we can invite ourselves to step into, even if they're uncomfortable? Knowing that globally, a generation from now, we're all going to be much, much better off uh, by having done that, and then the things shift. What if we were displaced? What if we were in a position where we were willing to give up everything we had because uh, we knew our children's lives or our lives were at stake? And what would we want to create? And then how would those questions be asked, and how would we Hoping that some countries were asking those questions. But I think if we come from that standpoint, what are the answers we, we come up with? Yeah.
0: Did anybody, does anyone have any burning desire to share about um, trade wars and what they felt about trade wars? not we can probably just leave it there for today and then we can enjoy some refreshments and, and just kind of light chatting but thank you all so much for coming today and uh, we yeah you can follow through meetup and through Facebook um, so that you'll see the next date that gets posted and we're trying to do this kind of once a month um, and if you have any feedback about um, the format or topics or Any any ideas that you have, feel free to share, and feel free to invite anybody else. is open to whomever wants to be here. So thank you very much for being here today. Thank you so much for your attention in listening to this gathering and supporting this project through your service in participation of listening and joining us physically or virtually. The next Conscious Community Gathering will take place on Wednesday, July 18th at 7 p.m. at the Garcher Residence in London, Ontario. All are welcome, and we look forward to seeing you soon. We deeply appreciate your time and attention in listening, and we would love to hear your feedback about these recordings and the gathering. Please keep in touch. We love you. Your presence and radiance matter in the world.